On Wednesday, we learned there are a lot of people who are going to our hospitals and leaving without being seen. Today, we spoke to Dr. Joss Reimer, the Chief Medical Officer for the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. The latest mental health index in Canada shows one third of Canadians are avoiding what? We had a fun chat with Jets TV's Sarah Orleski. Yes, of course, we talked some hockey, but things went off the rails a little bit when her cell phone started cutting out and boy, she went off. And inspired by a trip to the open house at RRC Polytech, if your career path had gone a different way, where do you think it would have taken you or where would you like to have gone? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, February 23rd podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Marissa Turton in for Jeff Braun. I guess he needed some time off after the stress of yesterday, will he or will he not get Bruce Springsteen tickets? I couldn't help but laugh. I came out and I saw... I've never seen so many people standing around with phone cameras to watch somebody make a transaction on their computer. I had Greg call me, FaceTime me, just so I could watch, because I because I worked from home yesterday, and so he the phone rings, and I knew right away why it was a FaceTime call. I was like, show me. And there was Braun, very calmly... Going through the steps, Brett or Greg, to secure his tickets, and one of several happy people, I think. Oh, we had several, yes, just in our newsroom alone. Scott Duarte from Global News uh, Winnipeg works behind the scenes. He was thrilled. His he he told me afterwards his wife was already blaming him for messing things up before he even got started. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's uh, his wife's uh, favorite is Springsteen, so they had backup plans to go and see him in Cleveland of all places if things didn't work out in Winnipeg. Uh, but Scott got his tickets, and uh, Jeff was absolutely thrilled. And yeah, he had about seven people watching him complete the process. And then when it came time to enter his credit card information, he says, "Okay, guys, you can all turn away now." That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, very protective. So how how many are sold? Is it is it a sellout? It's essentially a sellout. There are uh, there's a group of four tickets and another group of two on the floor outside of the general admission floor area. You can still get ten ten hundred and sixty two dollar tickets in the in the exclusive uh, area where you, it's standing room only, very close to the stage. In fact, I think it's technically inside the stage. If you want to get technical, I think the front of the stage is actually behind those folks. So if you want to pay big bucks and stand for the entire show and be really close to everything you can do that and then uh, i found uh three or four random tickets up in the uh, 300 section but that's it that's all there is right now so you will of course be able to find tickets on uh, ticket resellers without any difficulty and at some point Ticketmaster will release uh tickets with regard to, like there'll be people who will resell their tickets through through Ticketmaster. so if you want to go to the show there are always tickets available. The only question will be how much will they cost. And and speaking of that, I thought the price of the tickets yesterday were pretty reasonable. Just over a hundred bucks for the three hundred uh, section, and for for the most part. And then it went up to about three hundred, and then just over four hundred in the one uh, hundreds. And then of course you had the eleven hundred dollar tickets on the floor. Yeah, the most expensive ticket uh, Marissa was saying that remains is about twenty three hundred bucks, and the cheapest that's left is just over a thousand. Dollars, but yeah, when I heard that the tickets in the upper deck were a hundred bucks, I thought, oh, that's I because mm-hmm. people were saying that they figured the cheapest would be four hundred, yes. three or four hundred bucks. So that's good that that there was a, if you wanted to shell out to get those up close seats, but uh, like Braun was saying, look, I've seen him live before. He's seventy five years old or however old he is. He's not doing cartwheels on the stage. Like it's maybe you sound don't want to be good. too col- close either. You know, we're like, oh. You know, that's actually, that's funny you mentioned that because I went to see, uh, Ozzy Osbourne was here, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. He, he was performing a white, uh, Rob Zombie open for him and then Ozzy came out and we didn't stick around for the entire show because we mostly wanted to see Rob Zombie, but Ozzy came out and he had a, a bucket of water with him. And I guess the idea was that he would, he would send it sort of showering the audience, you know, like a, he would throw it out on an angle. So it would send out this like cascading wave. <laughs> but instead, he just kind of 
boom, dumped it on one person because he couldn't lift the bucket. Uh, so, yeah, in that case, you wouldn't want to be that the close. The show might not be the same as you want it to be. Not because of a look or an age or anything, just because of, you know, everyone gets older. I remember I've said this before. I've seen Motley Crue and I had floor seats. And then I was like 15 rows back and... He had to get the audience to sing so much of so many songs because there was a lot of girls, girls, girls. You don't got it anymore, buddy. So, well, you know. and, and being on the floor isn't always the be-all, end-all. I was in the front row of uh, the last Van Halen show, the last event at the old Winnipeg Arena. Jackie and I were in the front row, and she hated it because everybody was crushing forward, pressing forward, mm-hmm. and and so it was super uncomfortable for her. You know, for me, I'm a little, you know, a little taller guy, and I can usually protect my 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 section of the floor without too much difficulty. So, yeah, being a little bit further away, probably not the worst thing you know there are giant screens at all these events now so you won't miss anything and you're there for the music and uh and dancing man i can't can't wait to to shake it for three hours it's gonna be amazing oh unless you get that person behind you who says could you please sit down i'm trying to watch the show that happened at that Elton John. That happened to me. I, go ahead, Lorraine. Well, I just I thought it happened at Shania Twain. It happened to me at Bon Jovi. And I just thought, what did we come here for? This is not a sit-down show. Correct. Elton John made it very clear at his concert in San Diego, you are here to dance. So get up and shake your backside was yeah. the message. And the people sitting in front of us did not like that and were not appreciative of the people in front of them d- getting up and dancing. I thought... Man, oh man, what is it like to be that miserable in life that you could sit at a Elton John concert and be upset because the people in front of you are dancing to this incredible music? Like, come on. Yeah, I went to, uh, when I went and saw Christina Aguilera in Las Vegas a few years ago, the person I was with was so excited to go to this concert, and, and I was excited too, but uh, she was upset that that people were not standing, that everybody was seated because uh, she wanted to get up and dance, and I did too, but the the auditorium we were in, and I think it was in Planet Hollywood, was a super nice place to, to sit and watch a concert, but it was kind of awkward to, to be standing oh, if you were the bad. only yeah. one standing. So I didn't know. I was like, what do we do? Do we get up and stand? Like you felt like you were in the Centennial Concert Hall, but you should be rocking it yeah, out. Exactly. Like the, style. Yeah, exactly. That would not be a, gr- a good place to, to get up and, and dance. So I don't know. Uh, but you're right. If you're going to a concert, especially like Bruce Springsteen and Dancing in the Dark get, comes on, you, of course you want to you want to wear some tight blue jeans, roll up your sleeves, start dancing with somebody who looks like Courtney Cox. That's where she got her start, right? Oh yeah. That was uh, filmed at uh, St. Paul Civic Center. Uh two nights at the beginning of that tour and I know a couple people were at that concert and yeah, that was, that's that's pretty cool to see look back and see Courtney Cox. In that you know video people now. who were there? Like, yeah, yeah. My brother in law was there, and I know a couple other people that were there back in the day when they shot that video. That is neat. Okay, so hey, if you uh, got tickets, secured tickets, let us feel free to weigh in at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, or did you get stymied? It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We got some Jets tickets up for grabs for Tuesday's game against the Kings. And today's topic has to do with something we discussed yesterday. Just after 9 o'clock, we spoke with our friends at RRC Polytech about the job fairs. They they had their first big job fairs in three years at both campuses, Notre Dame and the Exchange. And Mr. Mackling, I understand you took one or both of your boys? I took one of them uh, up to the Notre Dame campus. Hadn't been there for a few years. Uh, Pre-pandemic, we were there for a volleyball tournament and one of their massive gyms up there. But yeah, we went for the open house to... Just uh, garner a little bit of interest, take the temperature. Uh, one of the boys had been talking about going into the trades. And so when I learned about the open house yesterday, I was like, we absolutely have to go to this. And we were there a little bit early and we engaged uh, with one of the instructors who seems to have inspired my boy a little bit. The uh, Skilled Trades and Technology Center is a very impressive facility and that goes a long way you know in terms of capturing uh, the imagination of young people but so uh, did this instructor who just spoke so passionately about what he did and and why he does what he does so a shout out to the folks at Red River in that skilled trades and technology center and so it got me even thinking about gee whiz I wish I could go back to school 
and maybe learn one of these traits. <laughs> so if you weren't working where you are now, what job would you be doing? 204-780-6868. What other career path might you have taken? Or perhaps maybe you're thinking about taking a different path. So let's uh, start off with Cameron Poitras. Well, I would be an archaeologist somewhere in a jungle uh, looking for trinkets and belt buckles and coins <laughs> and old like ritual uh, objects and stuff. That's what I would be doing. That's like Indiana cool. Jones. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Was that Indiana? What was Indiana Jones? Well, it, yeah. I mean, that's where I got the idea when I was a kid to become an archaeologist. I was like, yeah, Indiana Jones, that's rad. And then you find out it's really actually just like square off uh, tiny little areas and you sift through it with a sifter and a brush and you like polish, look at through rocks. So it's, I don't think it's as exciting job, but like, listen, I love history. I love this sort of stuff. I mean, if I ever found like an something really old, um, that you could you could date back to to you know a long long time ago and it was somebody's object that they held on to their person. I would just think that would be so cool. I would ride that high. So I, yeah, I'd get into archaeology. That's neat. Yeah, wasn't there a story recently on Global News about a girl I think out west who found like a a tooth from some ancient shark? Oh, I can't remember what that was. A megalodon? I thought it was like a megalodon. No, it wasn't a megalodon. I think it might be. I'll have to look that up. But in the meantime, Marissa Turton for Jeff Braun. Hello there. Hello. What would you do? I, If I weren't working at Global News right now, I would be going to school to be a teacher. Oh. What would you want to teach? I wanted to teach either kindergartners or high schoolers. Like, I wanted <laughs> one end or the other. I don't want the middle because middle school, I didn't like middle school. So I didn't want anything to do with that. Either kindergartners or high schoolers. Okay. Kindergarten. What um, what would you like about doing that? Well, I don't I like teaching people things, and I just like showing people things. And uh, I don't know. I thought that... It would be a good option uh, because, like, I speak French and everything like that. So I thought, you know, it's kind of hard to become a teacher, but I thought maybe I'd have a good chance. But Plus, then. kindergarten kids think their teacher is the best. Yeah. Like, you can oh, do yeah. no wrong. Kids still talk about their kindergarten teacher. You're a hero. You walk into the room, they miss Turgeon. And you'd be like, I just showed up. <laughs> yeah. <I'm, laughs> they are loving me today. I went to the U of W to become a teacher, like, before I got into radio and stuff like that. And I, I never, obviously never panned out, but I... I wanted to do elementary. I didn't want to go near high school or junior high. I wanted yeah, to do When they elementary. love you. Yeah, yeah, totally. By the way, it was a megalodon tooth thing. <laughs> and I, I said out west, but it was east. Nine-year-old girl discovers prehistoric megalodon tooth in Maryland. This thing is bigger than her hand. So if you want to read that, just Google that for globalnews.ca. Forte, what about you? I would like to be, if I wasn't here be a live audio engineer and work at concerts and you know, for me oh. it's just I love sound I love audio especially in a live venue when you feel that bass hit your chest there's nothing like it that is really cool uh, one of my friends that I grew up with Jeff who was a drummer an excellent drummer uh, tried out for the company the the rock band that they have at Tech Voc way back in the day didn't get into the company so that was the side of the music industry he went on to and he's toured all around the world with uh, with bands uh, doing exactly that so I think that's wild I'm thinking like I know somebody does that and he's a drummer too I think, I think I think you should look into that there's something about uh, drummers and uh, audio you know just it works out it works together working the lights right you gotta have you gotta feel the music well the lights the lights is a whole different other job there's audio <laughs> crazy Greg. and He's there's doing lights. audio I'm you audio. can do both jeff <laughs> yeah, okay nightclub dj's gotta do both right absolutely. they run the light show and absolutely what about you uh, loren oh there's so many things if i'm if i'm being a dreamer it would be something to do with travel you know maybe like i'm not necessarily good with large animals but i'd like to be in a domestic elephant sanctuary where they help save the elephants and then you get to do safari type stuff. I've even thought even just being trying out a flight attendant for a year would be cool because I just like to hear all the stories and go the places they go to. But but from like 20 years ago, not one now where everyone's angry and hates you. Um, I'm the chip taste tester. Like, is that a thing where I could work in a factory and just taste chips? Ice cream te- a taste I, tester I think too. It I must into be. That. And then on the more practical side, there's part of me that's thought about being a lawyer before just because the, you know, arguing and um 
And then I'm, I'm like some of you. I like kids, but I'd like to do something more on the maybe like a, a, I, when I was younger, I thought about speech pathology or, you know, where you're one-on-one with the kid helping them with something specific. So I'd be all, I don't have a definitive answer. Yeah. It changes every two minutes if you were to ask me. Yeah. Mine would be, my practical one would be a sound mixer for movies. And oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. I always when when you watch the special features and you see them putting the sound mix together, I always thought that'd be fun. But uh, the the dream job would be a roller coaster like re- reviewer, <laughs> like a traveling roller coaster yeah. guy. So you want to be a YouTuber, basically? What before, with a very specific job? Yes, I guess so. Yeah. Or water slides, amusement parks. Right on. And Mackling, what about you? Oh, boy. Uh, lawyer was always on my list. I always wanted to pretend to be an architect as well. Um, uh, but teacher, if, if, if genuinely, if I, teachers. if I could. Yeah, if I could go back and do it all again. And it's not for the for the summer holidays because I know that for uh, most teachers, that you know, they, they work really hard uh, when they're in the classroom. It's a stressful job. But you mentioned the fact that that people know their teachers or, or idolize their early years teachers. Loren, I'm still friends with my grade two and grade three teachers. And uh, I just, uh, something special about putting your stamp on these kids so early in their life. So yes, I go early years school teacher. If you were not working where you are currently working, or perhaps you're retired and you often wondered, oh, should I have gone down a different path? Where would you work? Whether it's something practical or pie in the sky, super fun dream job. Like Kevin, who would like to be Clay Young. <laughs> he just texted that. There's only one Clay Young. <laughs> Breaking news from the Global News Center. I am Clay Young. Winnipeg, my favorite Clay Young headline. Winnipeg police have smashed another marijuana ring. 204 780 He actually said that during a newscast once. Made me laugh. We know the cost of living is stressing many of you out these days. Your health might also be cause for concern, maybe even your job. Yeah, but for many of us, I think, you know, you might say, okay, well, I can get out, I can hang out with friends, I can socialize, cut loose as a way to ease some of that stress. But according to the latest monthly survey from TELUS Health, one third, so 32% of Canadians actually avoid being with others. It's a behavior that might have really taken hold during the pandemic, and it's now growing. Paula Allen is Senior Vice President of Research and Total Wellbeing at TELUS Health. Good morning, Paula. Good morning. This is There's lots of numbers in, in the monthly index you do, but this one really stood out for me, the idea that people are avoiding social interactions. Do we have a sense of whether that's because they might prefer it that way, or they just find it too stressful to put themselves out there and they sort of got into this bad habit post-pandemic? Well, first of all, I'm glad it stood out for you because it's, it's very important. It's very significant in terms of the implications for our overall well-being. And we found that two-thirds of people who are avoiding that interaction with, the, with others, it actually started or worsened during the pandemic. And to understand that, I mean, we've been trending towards being more isolated as a society well before the pandemic, but it really accelerated, though, even though some of that isolation was, was, was sort of out of our control. We didn't have that opportunity to interact the way that we did before. It became a habit. And people have difficulty changing habits, even when the habits are not in their best interest. Yeah, that whole idea of, of, of saying no to a variety of different invitations, Paula, I think has maybe become easier for us. It was more difficult during the pandemic to, to say no to family obligations or work obligations outside work hours. And so we've been talking about that quite a, quite a bit, in fact. And the fact that, that, that we're having to maybe put some work into that and really consider... I don't really want to do this. My my initial reaction is no, but maybe I should be saying yes for my own well-being. Without question, you know, not everything that's great for our well-being is is is, is fun or easy or, or natural. I just think of um, working out. For some it is, but for some it's not. But we still get benefit from it. And at Telehealth, we're committed to making sure that people have the information and support they need for their mental health and well-being overall. And this is definitely one factor, a huge one. When we don't have 
social support, when we don't have contact with others, then that sense of isolation actually makes it more difficult for us to deal with daily stresses and difficult stresses. We do find that there is a strong correlation between being isolated, having a smaller world, and mental as well as physical illness, cardiovascular, as well as immune system disorders because of the strain that it puts on you. It's not natural for people to be alone. I see that 21% of Canadians have difficulty controlling their emotions. And I'm wondering, could could some of that just be maybe it, they're just out of practice? If, say, you've been working from home for the most part and your social interactions are less and then you find yourself in a situation that maybe almost feels foreign to you and you just can't remember how to deal with it in, a, in that particular moment. Yeah, and, and then there's, a, there's another factor as well. When we're under long-term strain, you know, you're under uh, a, a period of time where there's risk, there's uncertainty, there's lack of control. And, and if you think of the words that I use, risk, uncertainty, and lack of control, that really defined what we were living uh, with over the last three years. You know, you really become quite vigilant. You know, the fight or flight aspect of your brain really gets engaged. And the part of your brain that deals with emotional control, that deals with empathy. I mean, it fights for energy. So what's been happening is over the past several months, over the past few years, we have had that engagement of fight or flight. It's not sort of so strong that it is obvious, but we do find that half of Canadians are feeling more sensitive to stress. And when you feel that sensitivity to stress, when it engages your fight and flight, because again, that's what your brain is used to, you're more likely to be angry, you're more likely to be cynical, you're less likely to have that emotional control. So it's a symptom of the difficulty we've been under for for quite some time. We have just less than a minute here, Paula, but you know, something that stood out for me over the past little while is that I want to go out and I want to engage with people, but for some reason in the lead up to that moment, I'm just do not want to go like it might be in my calendar and I'm like I'm not interested in going and when I come home I've always had a good time but I have to force myself to do it in many cases and so when you mention it being like the gym is that a bad thing to think have those thoughts going into the social interaction as long as I know I'm probably going to come out of it feeling good well we're human (laughs) you know and we get used to behaving in a particular way and if, if the way that your life has been structured over the last little while is not to go out, then that's what you're used to. But I'm, but I'm glad you're thinking about it, and, I'm, and I want more people to think about it. Again, we're committed to making sure that we're helping people be the healthiest that they possibly can be, and just take that one step at a time. You know, I can get dressed. I'm feeling better because I'm dressed. I go out. I feel better because I'm going out. If I don't like it, I know that I can come back, but at least take that first step because you will, you will get benefit from it. Paula Allen, Senior Vice President with Research and Total Wellbeing at Telus Health. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. I will admit that once we started getting back to social interactions, it was weird at first and uh, anxiety-inducing for me. The anxiety seems to be gone, but one thing I've found is I'm having a harder time breaking the habit of being a hermit. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm there, like going to the movies. I yes. don't even go to the movies anymore just because I'm comfy at home. I spent the last week working from home because we had a guest with us. And as I was driving in this morning, I was like, I don't, I didn't really go more than 15 kilometers from my house the last week. And I spent a couple of days in the you know, same kind of outfit. I, it just, it's something about your world has, my world has gotten smaller, even though we've made it more bigger and connected. Over the last couple of years, it's weird. Yeah, the study also showed that uh, those under 40 are 70, 70% more likely to avoid being with or interacting with others. And I think we can all agree that for younger people, that EQ, that emotional quotient has been a challenge. Those soft skills in terms of employment have been a challenge like far before, long before the pandemic. And so that's just, that's just going to have to, so that's going to slow that development down. So I, I think if you're a parent, you need to be cognizant of that. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. If you could have taken a different career path, what would it be? Whether it's something like, like an actual practical job or dream big. 
Tell us a story for a chance to win tickets to see the Jets on Tuesday as they play the Kings. And uh, Loren Justin with an interesting one here. Yeah, Justin is a Red Seal sprinkler fitter, but says, I've always wanted to be a conservation officer. I love the outdoors. Just always like the idea of getting paid to protect it. Thankfully, I have an eight-year-old son who has taken interest in being a conservation officer. Maybe I can live through him. Ha, ha, ha. Have a good day. Well, better than uh, living through him as a professional athlete or yes. that pursuit, there right? There you go. There you go. Straight. <laughs> Adam says, my dream job is driving one of those sidewalk snow plows in the city. I love shoveling snow. I love being up late at night. I like listening to the shift. Seems like a perfect fit. And uh, he says, unfortunately, no way to directly apply for that job. But my electrician skills, I'd like to put those to the test, working on an oil rig in the middle of the ocean, like on Deep Horizon. Ad- it's like one extreme or the other for yeah. Adam, right? In the middle of the Gulf of Mexico or uh, clearing snow in one of the coldest cities on the planet. Sounds like It sounds like Adam kind of likes the elements of either solitary work or being pretend, like being isolated. But right? it's like knowing who you are when you're 22. And it's, not, it's like when you encounter that person in a customer service job and they clearly hate people. Yeah. And you think, <laughs> I don't understand what aptitude test you did not take, but you really don't want to be here. And sometimes it takes years to discover those parts of yourself. Like, I like to be alone, I think, maybe. Or I like to work in solitude. Or I like to use my hands. And you don't know you until w- you're in it. You want to ask those people, do your parents own the store? I'm guessing that's the only way you got this job. It's like someone who once got tired of working. They were a sports reporter and they got tired of working nights. And I was like, well, when do you think sports are happening? Because they happen at night. Well, except for one sport, notoriously, curling. Time for our small town salute, Winnipeg. Is a winter city, and yes, many of us are embracing the idea of just getting outside and enjoying it no matter how cold. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, I think you said just yesterday, Brett, that you found the week a little bit trying in terms of you like to walk, but you're kind of at that point in winter where you're... Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of hitting that wall. That's the word I'm using. You understood what I was saying. Yeah, it's the official meteorological term. (laughs) Where the point you're just done with everything, right? And it's easier said than done to enjoy it in a week like this one. And if you go north, this is obviously stating the obvious, but it might be even more challenging. Thompson, the city of Thompson, was one of the coldest communities in the province this week and even this morning as we said at temperatures of minus 25 it's minus 32 there but we know greg this won't stop the good people of thompson from doing what they do best which might be celebrating winter that is absolutely correct and we we got a kick out of this Uh, we welcome from thompson rihanna thompson good morning rihanna how are you I'm good. How are you? Really good. You know, did we just do to you what some people in Minneapolis tend to do with us? <laughs> and that's the whole idea of, oh, it must be really cold up there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's it's cold. It's been really cold for a while. So. <laughs> okay, so so we didn't mischaracterize what's going on weather-wise up north. But what about supper tonight? If I wanted to get to Thompson for supper, in, in time for supper, would I have to leave now? G- give me an idea of, of how long it takes and how do I get there from maybe Portage in Maine? <laughs> um, you would definitely probably have to leave now. It's about an eight-hour drive. Um, to be honest, I'm not super familiar with the Winnipeg roads, but you just need to get onto Highway 6 and then head north. And Perfect. It's just a straight road all the way down. So what do you love about your community, Rihanna? Um, you know, Thompson is a smaller city, so it kind of feels like you, you know most people here, and it can kind of feel like a big family. People are always offering to help each other out and coming together to plan and celebrate different events and cultures. There's a lot of diversity here, too, which is nice. So I think that Thompson has an overall good sense of community, and yeah, I like it in Thompson. So when you're talking about others, about where you come from, what are some of the stereotypes people might have of your community? Greg mentioned the weather, but are you, would you say you're generally a hardier bunch? Is it getting out more? Is it camping? Is it wilderness? Is it doing things in winter? Or am I just giving a gross generalization to every resident of Thompson here? No, I mean, um, I think Thompson is known a lot for a lot of the outdoor opportunities to do. I mean, everybody, snowmobiles and quads, there's camping, fishing, boating. Thompson's just a really good place to do outdoor activities if you like to be outside. 
So I know uh, nickel is sort of at the heart. The nickel mine is sort of at the heart of the community there. Yep. Uh, how, how How is the economy? It's been, a, I know, a roller coaster over the last several decades, and and that's just the, the way it is in an industry town, as they, they call it. What's going on there these days, uh, Rihanna? Um, I mean, I think everything is going well. My boyfriend actually works for Valet in geology, so I know that they're really picking up on the exploration aspect um, in Thompson right now. So I think things are looking up. I'm looking at the the lineup for the Winterfest for this weekend, and uh, Loren, I don't know if you spotted this, but there's free hot dogs. Uh, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday. Why Let's do you go- think I asked the supper question? <laughs> when do I have to leave to get there for my free hot dogs? But there's lots of other things, Brad. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about that's happening on Saturday, Rihanna, is the Winterfest scavenger hunt. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. That sounds fun. So that is the University College of the North's um, scavenger hunt. So they're a part of the committee to plan Winterfest. And yeah, they're just going to be set up. Our buildings are attached to each other, so they're going to have a little table set up where you can go and pick up a list of things to go and search for. It's all going to be within the area, so you won't have to drive anywhere. Um, you'll take photos with everything and then bring it back, and yeah, then they go based off of who won, and they'll give out prizes. What's the thing you're looking forward to this weekend, Rihanna, for the Winterfest? I'm looking forward to the bonfire and fireworks. Honestly, I love fireworks. We don't get to have them super often, so it's it's always really fun getting to see that. Yeah, well, and fireworks in the sky. I, I know I, I try to follow along as to what's going on with the aurora borealis. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a big deal in your part of the world, isn't it? It is. I mean, you do see them often. To be honest, I haven't really noticed them over the last little bit, but... Quite frequently when you go outside at night, you will typically always see at least a little bit of the northern lights. And looking at the Sunday itinerary, uh, I see there's a at 10.45 Sunday morning, you, you're having a toboggan making contest? Ooh. Yeah, so um, Fun Stuff Thompson, his name is Dennis Foley, he was part of the committee. He's actually putting that on, so you'll bi- build your toboggan beforehand. You can only use cardboard and duct tape. You can paint it and do whatever else, but that's all you can have to build it. And then we have a big sliding hill built in the back of our facility. So they're going to be doing like a little race to see who can go past the finish line the quickest and who has the coolest design. So, yeah, I think that'll be fun. Is there a limit to how much cardboard one is allowed to use? No, I don't think so. You know, I think someone was even building like a boat. So I don't know. It should be kind of cool. Oh, neat. <laughs> That's amazing. How many years have you guys been doing this? Is this, yeah, because this is the first I've heard for it, but is it the first year for the Winterfest for Thompson? No, it's not. I mean, the city of Thompson wasn't always um, putting on the event in the past, but uh, Winterfest has been around for more than 40 years. We don't actually have an exact date because it goes back so far. We don't have all the paperwork to to track when it actually started but yeah it's, it's been a long time thompsonwinterfest.com if people want to learn more and uh well rihanna good luck with this we, we, we look forward to to seeing uh, some of the pictures and and learning more and seeing more uh, over the weekend have you got some social media that we can follow um we do have just the city of thompson's facebook page and then there's a facebook page for thompson recreation that is the name and then, yeah, just the ThompsonWinterfest.com website. Rihanna Thompson joining us live from Thompson, Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. And uh, in terms of the temperature in Thompson, uh, it was actually listed as the cold spot in Manitoba in the, this past hour at minus 38.9. Uh, currently looking at their conditions at the Thompson Airport, minus 36 with a wind chill of minus 44. So hardy Manitobans indeed going to enjoy Winterfest in Thompson, Manitoba. It sounds like fun. Not wind, right? You're talking just temperature? Minus 36 temperature. I know you said that. I wanted to reinforce that. No, no, no. It, it, it just in case if somebody heard, hears that and says, hang on, is that temperature or wind chill? Yeah, it's cold. But uh, It all feels the same once you get to a certain point. Kind of yeah. After minus 25, I think it's all, all the same. Although that, it, that, that cold did bite a little bit differently for me this morning. I don't know, it was a little bit more humid or something, but uh, it did not like it this morning. Clayman was saying the same thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he said it feels colder this morning than uh, the last couple of mornings. So I went and I'm like, well, that's because you're standing outside without a parka, Clay. He was just wearing his suit jacket. I'm like, okay, no wonder you're cold. <laughs>
It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We are all very excited. We have a special guest in studio with us. We'll tell you who that is in a moment. But first, Loren, at 8.35, uh, we've got uh, somebody we haven't talked to in a while on this uh, program. And we have some important questions for Dr. Joss Reimer, who, of course, is the head at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. Yesterday, we shared numbers about how the number of people leaving hospitals without being seen is on the rise. It continues to grow right across the city and in some respects the province. At Health Sciences Centre, for example, a quarter of patients who went in there last year on average left because they just were tired of waiting and and not being seen. And so we want to ask what's being done about this, what needs to still be done about this because it's a concerning number for many of us. In the meantime... I got to tell you, I am so happy right now. We have a dog in studio and uh, it just and the, the other day I was out for a walk and uh, this dog, uh, this lady was walking her dog and uh, the dog came over to say hi. So I stopped and pet the dog for like five seconds, 10 seconds. And I thanked her and said, thank you for this. You made my day. So dogs make everything better. Greg. Microphone. I have my microphone on. Can you not hear me? There, we, there you go. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm certain of lots of things in my life. One of those things is the fact that Brett McGarry needs a dog in the worst way. I've seen Brett happy uh, over the years, but never is he happiest. <laughs> never is he more happy than when there's a dog he involved. He never smiles like this when I come in the studio. <laughs> yep. When you come in the studio. Oh, no, no. Even when food comes in the studio, no. he doesn't have this kind of smile. Yeah, dog. so this will tell you exactly uh, how happy Brett McGarry is this morning. Leland Gordon is in the studio with you folks, uh, Winnipeg Animal Services General Manager. Leland, good to see you. How are you this morning? Good. Thanks for having us. Well, before we get into the into uh, the dog, you have joined uh, in the studio and he's up for a dog. He's so cute. It's freezing cold out. We've been joking uh, this week about the, the moosometer and uh, Loren's dog sort of giving us an indication of just how cold it really is. Are, are there some things we should consider with our pets when it's this cold? Well, absolutely. People need to be minimizing the amount of time their pets are outdoors um, and you know people are still taking their dogs for walks that that's great but there might be fewer walks when it's extremely cold like this so people can of course think about enrichment for their for their dogs indoors um, you know there's enrichment toys you can buy um, there's rope toys all these other things throwing a ball with your dog in your home so those are the things that people should do when they're making up for uh, less walks during inclement weather like so this. so I, I could I can take them for a walk is it about shortening it or being mindful of where you're walking in, in terms of you know pavement, ice, snow. Yeah, I would I would shorten those walks um, when it's really 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 cold like this. Like different types of dogs can handle it differently. So really, just uh, be mindful of that when you're out and about. And another thing we wanted to ask you about as well is dogs off leash on the river trail. Uh, I've I've seen it. It's never personally bothered me, but uh, and Greg spotted it as well on social media. There are some people complaining about dogs being off leash on the river trail. Uh, so just maybe refre- give us a refresher. What is the rule as it pertains to leash on your dog when you're out for a walk? Well, really, your, your dog needs to be on leash when it's off your own property. The only place really you can run your dog off leash is uh, your own property or an off-leash dog park. I think people really get enjoyment on our frozen waterways, our, our frozen rivers. Um, people need to be mindful that not everybody loves dogs, right? And so if your dog is great, it can run off leash perfectly next to you when you're ice skating really fast or whatever, that's not impressing the, the residents in our community because they the people who aren't really into dogs, right, or are scared of dogs should be able to go out on our waterways and not have to come across an off-leash dog. So it's important. Keep your dogs on leash. Um, remember, if your dog's off-leash on a waterway, you can get it, it can, and there's somebody else walking with a dog, your dog could get into it with that other dog. You don't know if that other dog on leash is dog aggressive. Um, So you could get into conflicts with dogs. You can get into conflicts with residents, of course. And then, of course, you can get into conflicts with wildlife. You know, Mm. we have lots of wildlife that live on or out and about our waterways, you know, deer, coyotes, raccoons. And so we don't want your dogs going after our wildlife either. One of our listeners is yelling at me right now via the text message line, stop stalling. Tell us the dog's name. Tell us about the dog that's in studio with you. Okay, this is very sad. We have Mike who was returned from adoption yesterday, and it was no fault of Mike. It was a great family that adopted this dog. He's been with them for a couple weeks, but their own dog 
was not tolerating having another dog in the home. And Mike is a shepherd mix. He's about two or three years old. He's been in our system for almost six months. He comes all the way from Rankin Inlet. Um, He's great off leash. He's okay on leash. He loves young children. He's house trained, only two or three years old. He's neutered, of course, comes licensed. He, the, the feedback we got from this great family that adopted him is he was just a wonderful, wonderful dog. So if you're, if you're looking for a dog that really likes everything, come down to Winnipeg Animal Services. We're at 1057 Logan, right at Logan and McPhillips. And please check out Mike. It's always very sad when we have a dog named Mike like this, who's just sitting in our system for so long and nobody's adopting him. And he's sitting here smiling. He has that look on his face. Like he's happy. He's good to go. So if I'm someone at home listening to this, because I'm a dog owner and our kids keep saying, we should get another dog to keep mm-hmm. Moose company. It's a hard no for me right now, just because I'm learning as I go about being a dog owner. But is he, could he work with other dogs? How do you figure that process out? Well, no, he, he, you, you could bring your dog down or you can take our dogs on doggy dates out oh, in the community. Just, doggy you, can, date. you can test drive our dogs in the community for fun with no commitment just to see if you enjoy a dog. You don't even have to adopt a dog. You just want to take a dog out in the world, do our doggy dates. That's all on our website, winnipeg.ca. You're going to want your pet to be spayed or neutered on this doggy date. Well, of course. Time, right? <laughs> well, all we want spaying and neutering. But what I'm saying is um, Mike's already been with lots of dogs. Mike's great with dogs. Mike, Mike likes to run off leash and have fun with dogs in legal areas, of course. It just um, didn't work for this particular family. It just family. didn't work for this family. And of course, if it doesn't work, we don't feel we want those people to return the dog so we can find a better match. Well, you can get more information at winnipeg.ca or at 311, and you can follow Winnipeg Animal Services on social media. Leland Gordon, Winnipeg Animal Services General Manager, always a pleasure. Thank you for coming, and thanks for bringing Kelsey and Mike. Mike, nice to meet you, bud. 813. Mac, oh, go ahead, Greg. Uh, if you want to see Mike, he's going to be on TV in a few minutes' time. So check him out on Global News Morning. Not that we, you want us, you know, we don't want you to leave us, but <laughs> check him out. You can watch and listen. Do you just want to watch Mike? Do you need to hear Mike? No. You do not need. You can't even hear him right now. <laughs> Good dog. Good boy. Good boy, Mike. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Before we bring on our next guest to talk about something important that we uh, first mentioned yesterday morning, just a heads up, if you want to see a photo of our previous guest, Mike the dog, who was brought in with Winnipeg Animal Services, we've posted a picture on our 680 CGOB Instagram story. I just had to uh, place the text rather strategically uh, because Mike, uh, as handsome as he was, was a little excited uh, during the time of the photograph. So, but yeah, he's a handsome dog and he great story. Uh, he was just returned to Winnipeg Animal Services yesterday uh, after being previously adopted. And the other dog in the family said, not having this. Uh, he's a great dog. So if you're looking for a dog, Mike, we can all endorse that he's a wonderful little pup. Meanwhile... More than a quarter of patients who walked in to the Health Sciences Centre last year walked out without being seen. So that's almost three times the number of patients who left HSC without being seen five years ago. And right across the board, we've been talking about this for a few days now, the numbers are up. 13% left St. B in 2022 without being seen. Almost 10% at Grace Hospital. Nearly 12% at Concordia Urgent Care. So the question we are asking this morning is what do we do with this information and what sort of changes are taking place, in place, will be in place to make sure more Manitobans are getting care in a timely manner. Dr. Joss Reimer is the Chief Medical Officer for the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority and joins us now. Dr. Reimer, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We appreciate this and we appreciate the numbers and the access to the information. We know this is a growing problem. Simple question. What are we doing about it? Yeah, it really is a growing problem and, and nobody's happy to see the numbers because they, they represent real people with real experiences where their needs, were, their needs were not met. And so none of us are happy to see that people are leaving our facilities without being seen by one of our providers. And we're doing a lot of work to try to address this. So some of the things you've seen, a lot of the the campaigns the government has put out about trying to advertise that we have other walk-in options. And that's really great for people who have more minor concerns. Maybe they have something that needs some stitches. Maybe they have a cold or a headache or a bladder infection. 
but we still need to be working on the wait times because some people need to go to the emergency room. And so there's a number of things that we're doing to try to address that. But, but the biggest issue we have is just how many people we have working in the healthcare system. And that's been a challenge for a while that got quite a bit worse with COVID. I understand we're working on information, Dr. Reimer, and the idea that I need to understand where my health needs can best be served. So is that the urgent care? Is it the ER? Is it the walk-in clinic? But as you just referenced, there might be times of day, it could be two in the morning, that the hospital might feel like my only option, or it feels like I'm in dire straits. And in my head, I might think I need to get to an ER. And so I'm curious at the information level in hospital, what gets said to the patient? What can be said? And are we working to change that? Because if I walked in and someone was allowed to say to me, you know what, we feel like, you know, you're 22nd on the list. You're going to be five hours before you're being seen. If you wait till 7 a.m., you're probably better served at a walk-in clinic. Is that the kind of information someone at triage can actually say to a patient? Or is there a concern that there might be some sort of liability issue if someone leaves and goes to the wrong spot? Yeah, that's a great question because it is something we're talking to our staff about. Uh, We want to make sure that people have the best information, even when they show up, that they're given the best information about how to get care. So one of the things we're working on is posting the wait times at all of our uh, walk-in connected cares in the waiting rooms, so that when someone shows up to an emergency room waiting room, they can see that if they were to go to Access Fort Gary, that the walk-in time would wait time would be you know 30 minutes instead of the several hours that they've been told at the site that they're at. We're also talking to our triage nurses who are really skilled staff members and are really good at determining how urgent someone's care needs are and making sure that those really severe cases are dealt with right away, but giving them the ability to also inform people about what other options may be available to them. And so I know our nursing staff is working hard on getting those those ways of communicating uh, spread throughout all of our staff so that everyone feels comfortable that they're providing helpful information and, and not redirecting someone who really does need to be in the emergency room. And what about maybe working with other organizations who are sort of connected to but not directly a part of the healthcare system? And I bring this up because I ended up in an emergency room in December at the Grace Hospital uh, because I had a bit of a heart scare. And there were people who had been, I was there, I think, in total for seven hours. And there were people who were there for three hours before I got there and were still there after I left and while I was waiting for the results of my tests, I heard them on the phone say, well, they told us to come to the emergency room. They had called, contacted uh, whatever foundation they were working with and they were directed to the ER and maybe that was uh, misguided advice. Maybe they shouldn't have been sent to the ER. We, yeah, we want to get the word out to everyone. So we want people to go to myrightscare.ca to find out what is the best place for them to get care for the condition that they have. But we want that information available to employers, to foundations, to anybody who may be directing people. We're working with you know, 911 operators. We're working with health links to make sure we're all giving out the same message. And one of the nice things about myrightcare.ca is not only will it tell you the wait times for the emergency rooms, the urgent care, and the walk-in connected care clinics that we control, but it also links you to a site where any walk-in clinic, no matter who runs it, can post their wait times. So you can see what the wait time is in the clinic that's right down the street from you, even if it's something that the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority isn't particularly linked to. Dr. Reimer, I don't want to, uh, you know, sort of uh, hammer on this point, but I I liked where you're going with your answer with regard to triage nurses and the skill, the outstanding skill they clearly have. They're in that position for a reason. But is there anything preventing our system and giving the power of a triage nurse to say, look, this is how we've rated you and you did a really good job just a few moments ago of sort of saying, you know, where you might fit on the list Is there anything preventing our system from creating a system where that triage nurse or somebody accompanying them could find an appointment at a walk-in clinic or another clinic for the next day, later that day? Like really genuinely integrating all these these health services as opposed to, to putting it on somebody to make that decision for themselves. Well, like you said, we have really skilled triage nurses and they are working so hard and I'm so thankful to have that team where they are. One of the challenges is that we don't control most of the walk-in clinics, so we wouldn't be able to access their systems to book appointments for people because they're run by private physician clinics. But we do want to make sure that we're at least linking people to information about how they can seek their own care there, even though we don't control the appointments at those sites. 
But we also want to make sure that the sites we do control are walking connected cares, you know, Pan Am's um, minor injury clinic, that we're working with them to have really efficient ways that people can get care uh, quickly when they don't require the care uh, at the level of an emergency room. But is there, and I've been through this myself before, this is a few years ago, took my child to urgent care at Victoria. And then eventually after about three hours was told, you know, just for the record, you need to be taking them to children's next time. There's only so much we can do here. You're, you're, you should be going to children's. And I thought, my God, why didn't someone say that to me three hours ago? So is there, is there something that are nurses not allowed to say that, Hey, by the way, you, you should go to A, B or C, or you won't be seen in a while. You're probably fine. Come back tomorrow. Is there something on that prevention preventative end as Greg is asking Dr. Reimer? No, there's, there's no rules saying that a nurse couldn't tell you what your best options are and help you navigate the system. I think a lot of times people are really hesitant to direct people away uh, because there's been a few times where things have happened when someone felt or maybe explained their situation mm-hmm. in a way that made the nurse feel that they were safer to leave than they actually were. And when you have those rare events, it impacts people and makes them feel really nervous about directing people away from the emergency room, even though we know when we look at the numbers and the statistics that you know, most cases, it's very safe for the nurse to make that assessment and redirect people. But that impacts people. And when they hear those stories, they feel nervous about it. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure our nurses have the tools and the confidence to provide the information to patients so that they can get the best care for them. Is there a timeline in your mind before we let you go, Dr. Reimer, when we talk about these leaving without being seen numbers? They were really high throughout much of 2022, no matter which facility you look at. Look at. In your mind, should we be aiming for a, a certain percentage that we'd be comfortable with of people leaving without being seen? And, and when could we conceivably hit that given the staffing shortages that we all know we have on the front lines? Well, one of the things I'm really glad about is that the numbers have gotten better since last spring. So we, we saw quite high numbers in you know, May-ish of this past year. And we've done a lot of work to bring the numbers down from there, but we're not near the end line. We need to bring them down further because people are still leaving at much higher numbers than we're comfortable with. There's always going to be some people who leave without being seen because they come in they hear how long the wait time is and they arrange their own follow-up and may not let us know. And that's okay. We know that if they come and they find that out and then address their concerns in a different way, that that's going to show up in our numbers as left without being seen, even though they did get appropriate care. So we're not aiming for zero, but we're looking to work on this to bring these numbers down over the next year, over the next few years. It's going to take time, though, because the issue isn't so much inefficiencies in the, the emergency room. It's really about staffing and making sure we have enough people on the wards, that we have enough people in primary care, that we have enough people throughout the system. And we've seen a lot of retirements. We've seen a lot of burnout during COVID. And it's going to take us a while to build that back up. But we've got an amazing staff, and I can't thank them enough for the work that they're doing and the way they're caring for patients. And I know that our numbers are going to grow because people are going to see what an amazing career they can have. And working with this group um, would be such um, a way that they can contribute to making Winnipeg and Manitoba a better place. Dr. Joss Reimer is the Chief Medical Officer for the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. Dr. Reimer, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're asking you if your career had gone in a different direction, where would you have liked it to go? This was inspired by the fact that Greg took one of the Twin Towers to the open house at Red River. RSC Polytech had open houses at both of their campuses, the Exchange Campus and Notre Dame. Greg went to the Notre Dame campus. And Eric has texted us Mr. Mackling to say thanks for the shout-out this morning. We are all so excited to be able to show off our amazing new Skilled Trades and Technology Center at RRC Polytech. And then he even weighed in on the contest, saying, hey, my perfect career path is the one that I'm living, although I'm a pinball machine collector, so working full-time fixing and restoring games would be pretty cool, too. That is pretty awesome. Eric, I think I met you last night, and uh, thanks to all the instructors who opened their doors and and really gave a, a great idea of what students could expect at RC Polytech. And yeah, that skilled trades and technology center is top notch from, you know, from what I can gather, just spectacular facility. So thanks again for the hospitality. I'm worried Greg's not going to be here Monday morning. <laughs> he signed up for a course. Uh, well, the, and I'm going to call the, to get my fridge fixed or something. And it's going to be like Macklin and son. And I'll just be a whole big thing. Next intake for that course, I don't think is until the fall. So I'm safe for a little bit. 
So we're asking you for the chance to win Jets tickets for Tuesday's game against the Kings. And as always, we like to pick a couple of runners up before we announce the winner. Taylor with a really fascinating text. Do you see this one here, Loren? My dream job would be an animal psychologist or linguistic. Specifically with dolphins would be amazing. Imagine being able to figure out their different squeaks and clicks to see what they're saying. So fascinating as they are so smart. You ever interacted with a dolphin? Yes, yeah. I've done one of those. Um, and uh, I don't know what like you call swim it. Around swim with, with the, the dolphins, yeah, yeah, in the pool. Yeah, they, same here. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not so sure how I feel about it in retrospect because you feel kind of somewhat bad that they're in that area, mm. but to be with them in the water was really cool. Yeah, and I remember feeding dolphins at SeaWorld when I was 12 or 13 years old. That was super fun because they were so happy and probably hungry, I guess. They were like, they were happy to be being tossed fish. Um, you know, let's just jump ahead to the winner here, Mackling, because we're running short on time. Sure. Don D is our winner. It's never too late to make a dream come true. I am currently in the auto finance industry. This was not my dream, but it has done me well over the years. I love to cook, and my dream was always to become a chef. I am two days shy of my 50th birthday. Happy early birthday, Dawn. And I am beginning my Red Seal journey to become a certified chef at Red River. Haven't been this excited since I married my wife and my kids were born. Man, and does that ever come through in the text message? It doesn't always, but Dawn, we can tell how excited you are. Congratulations on two fronts. How long is this program? Dinner on Dawn in like 18 months? or (laughs) Test his Red Seal that he's getting. I I can't remember how long the culinary art program is over there. Don uh, gets jet tickets. Sure. We get a meal. I I mean, I know we're not supposed to trade these things for <laughs> stuff. Well, but we, let, we can I add that did. caveat. Yeah, Don, you got to make us a, a Red Seal <laughs> meal. Uh, but congratulations, Don. You're going to the Jets game on Tuesday against the Kings. And congratulations on the, the career shift. We got a lot of those texts this morning about people changing careers a bit later in life than they normally would. You, gotta, you know, it's brave to take that leap. So good for you. Thanks for participating. <laughs> And right now we want to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. They wound up their four games in six-night road trip with a 2-1 loss to the Islanders last night on Long Island. Okay, so here's some good news, Brett. The Jets are still just one point behind the first-place Stars, and Dallas is just 2-3-5 and five for nine points in their last ten games. The bad news, the Jets are... Four for six, four and six for eight points over the same stretch after collecting just one win on this road trip. Sarah Orleski of Jets TV joins us now to dig into things a little bit deeper. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, you three. How's everyone doing? We're doing a-okay. Yeah, so I've been, I was doing some math this morning, and I think it's right. The Jets gave up just eight goals. That includes two empty net goals in the four games they just played on the road. They they gave up just one power play goal on 15 opposition power plays. How do you dissect this stretch of games? Uh, well, there's certainly, I mean, there's some things that we saw tighten up with them. But it, when you look at this Jets team right now, um, the one and three on the road trip certainly hurts. And I, I know that you said you know, the great, the good news when you're looking at it, and let's look at it glass half full, they are only one point behind Dallas. Somehow Dallas managed to lose that game last night against Chicago, which when they went up 3 nothing, I did not think they were going, it was going to have happened. So no one in the West, especially in the Central Division, is running away with it. But this is a Jets team that we know can score. We know that they have the offensive um, skill to be able to do it, and they just haven't been doing it. And that's been a huge issue for them. I mean, we saw the output by the top six in that win against the Rangers, but secondary scoring has been an issue for this team. You look at it, as I was looking on the some of the stats today, just prepping for tomorrow's game, and when you go back to January 15th, so that's a stretch of 15 games right now, they have averaged just 2.33 goals a game. So that's 29th in the league. Um, This is a team that needs to score more. They can't rely on Connor Hellbuck. They need some of those greasy goals. Some of those things that we saw working so well for this Jets team earlier on in the season, we knew it was going to get tougher as teams tightened up their systems. We know that, you know, and I think we've talked about it before, there's always benchmarks in the season in which 
the games and the level of play get elevated, the Jets need to elevate their level of play right now. They certainly, I mean, we all know they're capable of doing it. Uh, We just need to be able to see a little bit more from them. So let's talk about how they are or are not scoring, Sarah. We're just going to play a clip in a second, but Greg mentioned that the Jets only gave up eight goals on the road trip. They also only scored eight. There was four in one game. Six, their top six forwards scored almost all of the goals, seven out of eight of them, and the other one came from Pionk. So here's Rick Bonus on what he thinks about that. Well, we need more from the bottom six. There's no question. So we just keep getting them out there, and eventually uh, they work hard. They generate things. They can't pass up any opportunities to shoot the puck, which I thought we did tonight a few times. But they, they're working. They're banging around the net. It's just not going in for them right now. You mentioned greasy goals. Who's the who's the greasy goal guy who's not getting it right now? Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. You could look at it. Adam Lowry certainly um, held himself accountable. He's not the only one, but he's gone 31 games since he scored. We've seen some opportunities, and and Rick was right in that comment. If you think about him during their last stretch of home games, because some of the chances that Kevin Stenlin had, you go, oh, oh no, <laughs> just so close. Uh, Sacramento Linen hasn't scored since December 4th. Stenlin has the one goal since December 23rd. Morgan Barron hasn't been scoring. And, and although you don't look for your, your bottom six aren't going to contribute on the score sheet to the same extent, obviously, as your top six, and they are the engine that gets things going, you still need those contributions. And you think about how this team, the success that they had in that playoff run in 2018 and the depth that they had for them, you can't get by with just two-line scoring and, more importantly, can't get by just relying on Connor Hellebuck. And so they need to start to get those greasy goals. And as much as we you – know, every time you hear a home crowd yell, shoot, <laughs> on the power play or, or anything like that – this is a team that sometimes gets caught up making too many passes. And I think that you need to just see those. They need that goal on that bottom six line to go off someone's behind or someone's. Sometimes it's as simple as getting it off of someone's, um, you know, shin and it just bounces in. It's not always pretty, but they need to just get going. We've seen those. Think of the that Adam Murray had this season, the production that we saw from him back in December. These guys can contribute. They need to. They're playing well, generally defensively, especially if they're making the contributions that they need to on that. Sarah, are you still there, by the way? Able to help this team uh, get going. Um, so you, you, okay, good to hear you back. You cut out there for a second. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's not, not your fault. It's cell phone technology. It's only 2023. I'd think we could rely on these things, but uh, here we are. The you NHL. Let me start it. That's a whole. If I will go, I could go on a whole, you know, two minute rant on 2023 and cell phone technology and how can we not in a city get uh, stable. Is this I, Winnipeg specific to you, or do you have like an NHL city you've been to where you're no, like they're I, terrible? So here's the thing that I don't understand with Winnipeg is that said I can I can go you know you can be in Manhattan and you think about the skyscrapers that are in there and you have no issue with cell phone service and somehow I love this city somehow you can be anywhere in the city and I look around and I'll have calls that drop or. And I go, well, of course. I mean, I'm by a, I'm by a two-story building. Why wouldn't my cell phone drop right now? I just don't understand it. <laughs> well, I know yeah. we brought you here to talk hockey, but I like the cell phone rant. Uh, yes. the, so let's just stay on this side path for a second here, Sarah, because the, the classic example I can give when I used to be Charles Adler's technical producer, we had a guest on the phone on a cell phone in, in South Africa. And it was clear as a bell. It was the, maybe the best cell reception we'd ever had in a call. And I remember Charles making that same comment that we, we, we had tried to put a reporter on on for live from River Heights. And the phone dropped, the call dropped three times during a newscast because there's no cell service in River Heights. So, yeah, I feel your pain. Um, I don't understand it. <laughs> I'm sure that there's a I'm sure that there's some sort of logical or easy explanation to it, but I just don't know what it is. And it's one of my biggest 
frustrations for reasons like this. So again, I apologize for the phone cutting out. You need your separate segment, uh, What Grinds Sarah's Gears, I think. <laughs> exactly. Oh, don't get me going. <laughs> uh, the, we might, well, uh, we might have to look for other ways to get you going. <laughs> uh, but the NHL trade deadline is just eight yes. days away. So like there were several trades made this week. All the pundits still talk about the Jets being a contender and in the same breath expect them to be a factor. So what can you tell us? Well, I think that this will be really interesting to see how Kevin Sheveldayoff approaches this trade deadline. And just, I mean, and I hearken back, as, as do a lot of people when talking about trade deadlines and playoff pushes to 2018, just because of the run that the Jets went on that year where he acquired Paul Stastny, which surprised everybody. This is the Jets team that, look, we know that they need some help with it. Um, it'll be interesting to see. We're waiting to find out what an update is on Cole Perfetti, uh, who obviously wasn't able to finish the road trip, sidelined, waiting for further assessment in him. But this, if this is a team that is going to make a push into the playoffs, they need to get more help up there. And so I always, I do always caution that sometimes, you know, you hear names being thrown out and it isn't always obviously as simple as just, know oh well we'll just you know you either throw the house at at this team in order to acquire the player there are a number of different factors that come into it including if it if a player has a no trade clause getting them to waive but we know that um shovel typically has been rather um cautious in it in terms of not wanting to uh, throw everything there and and potentially um put the future you know, wager the future on the present. But this is a team that I think when you look at the potential that has you, when you look at the West, we said earlier, no one's running away with it. Everybody's struggling. If you are going to, though, be able to contend with the Colorados, even Minnesota is coming on right now, but especially with Colorado, this is a team that's going to need help. I don't know if it necessarily needs to have the blockbuster deal in order to be able to do it, because I don't always think that in the past we've seen that work. Um, it needs to be the right fit, and that's where it comes in. But I certainly think that um, it'll be interesting to see, and I would expect them to be looking to add in order for this team to have its best shot of, of moving deep into the postseason. Yeah, you mentioned Colorado. They're here tomorrow night, four points behind the Jets, three games in hand, I believe. Minnesota also just four games behind the Jets with a game in hand. Yeah. But let's uh, jump ahead to Sunday before we let you run real quick here because we only have about 40 seconds, Sarah. But the next-gen game, that's that's going to be pretty exciting, not only for fans uh, listening and tuning in otherwise, but also those in the building, but especially some of some of our young people in the community. I think, we, I think we just lost her entirely. So I think we'll just have to leave it there. Sarah Orleski from Jets TV joining us live on 680 CJOB. We'd like to check in with our friends at Jets TV every Thursday just after the 9.30 news. Cell phones, man. When I got my new phone, uh, it, was, it was a 5G phone, and they were saying 5G is the fastest thing ah, on earth. Whatever. I had to disable it. Because it was useless. Like, I was downtown trying to search for the the operating hours of a... I can't remember what store it was. And I couldn't get on a website. Yeah. So I I had to go back to the store and say, how do I turn off the 5G? It sucks. I wanted to ask Sarah. We were talking about careers this morning. The other career you might have picked. Maybe hers would have been cell phone repair person. (laughs) No kidding. Or cell phone, uh, perhaps, demolition.